What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the MMA Fresh Take Podcast with Mario Zapata. I'm here to talk about a little bit about UFC 222 and what to look forward to for the rest of March and some of the fights going down in April. was not able to get a review of UFC 222 up quickly, so sorry for that. But let's get right into this. I'm not going to break down the card and a ton of detail going fight by fight or anything like that. Uh, We'll go over all the results for every fight. I just won't go in depth on certain ones. We'll go in depth on other ones. Just quickly, let's let's go down the card, the winners. Cyborg defeated Yana Kunitskaya via TKO in the first round. Brian Ortega defeats Frankie Edgar via KO in the first round. Sean O'Malley with a unanimous decision victory over Andre Sukmatat. Andre Arlovsky with a unanimous decision win over Stefan Struve. Ketlin Vieira versus Katzengano is a split decision victory for Vieira. Mackenzie Dern wins her UFC debut by split decision over Ashley Yoder. Alexander Hernandez with a first-round knockout of Benil Darius. John Dodson with a split decision victory over Pedro Munoz. C.B. Dalloway with a win via DQ after Hector Lombard um, hit him with punches after the bell. And then Zach Otto defeats Mike Pyle by TKO. Cody Stamen with a decision with a split decision victory over Brian Caraway. And then lastly, the first fight of the night, Jordan Johnson versus Adam Milstead Johnson winning by split decision as well. So let's talk about this real quick. Let's just go through some of these pretty quickly. Jordan Johnson was one of these guys that was a huge favorite out of, over Adam Milstead. Milstead coming down from heavyweight. Looked pretty good early on with his striking, but Johnson was able to grind out this victory with his wrestling. Interesting guy to watch for, but wasn't super impressed considering the things that I had heard from him before. But we'll see how how his career progresses as it continues to go along. Cody Stamen over Brian Caraway, very impressive victory here. Caraway almost had this fight finished in the first round, or at least was threatening with a submission. I don't know how close he was to actually getting it. But then Stamen was able to really impose his athleticism, his quickness with his hands, and his his movement was really solid. He ended up doing a really nice job of defending the takedowns the rest of the fight, second through third rounds, which really seemed to wear out Brian Caraway, and he ended up winning this fight uh, with a very close split decision. But great win for Cody Stamen, who now has a win over Brian Caraway. And also in his last fight, he defeated Tom Duke and Was. So he's quickly rising up the ranks in the bantamweight decision at just 28 years old. Just defeated the number seven bantamweight in the world. So very impressed with Cody Stamen. <laughs> Definitely get him another top 10 fight uh, soon. I was thinking someone like a John Dodson who just won a split decision over Pedro Munoz. Maybe something like that could be a little bit too much for him. But... <laughs> Dodson, with how quick and, and, and how good his movement is, would be an interesting test for Cody Stamen, who is a natural 135er, but also seems to have a lot of quickness of his of his own, has a lot of athleticism that he can uh, showcase. I would wonder what how that would match up would go if Dodson would have that 
a real advantage or how big that advantage of his movement and quickness would be against a guy like Stamen. But Stamen definitely a guy to watch in the future. One of these guys that's up and coming, breathing new life into the division and just new life into the UFC. So he'll be an interesting guy to watch. Zach Otto with TKO punches versus Mike Pyle. Pyle just never really got started in this fight. Zach Otto was very aggressive early on. Ended up uh, landing, you know, some nasty, some massive shots to the head, and that ended up in Mike Pyle losing by TKO. Uh, for Pyle, just say want to say quickly, was a really fun guy to watch. I mean, he had that streak where he had like four fights in a row where he was winning. He was in his late 30s in the welterweight division, which is very tough to be successful when you're that old, especially in a division that deep and in a division that's more catered to the younger type of fighters rather than the older fighters. The divisions where you see older fighters succeed is going to be a little bit more in your middleweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight divisions. The divisions where speed is not so much a priority, where power is a little bit more of a priority, and so you can succeed a little bit longer with your natural strength and power, that really doesn't leave you as quickly as the speed does. So it was fun to see him, you know, have his career in the UFC. He had a lot of, he provided a lot of entertaining fights, finishes, and he was one of these guys that was always well known for being like a title challenger type in the gym, but just was never able to fulfill that potential 100% in the octagon. So unfortunate ending for him, but he's 42 years old. Hopefully this is his last fight. He doesn't come back. I mean, he definitely has not been on the winning side of things as of late. I believe, I believe this is, let's see, five, five losses in the last six fights. So it is time to call it quits, but Emotional moment there, but uh, wish him all the best in retirement. A good win for Zach Otto. CB Dalloway versus Hector Lombard. That ended up in a DQ after Hector Lombard landed two punches after the bell, with the second one being, looked like a left hook, I believe. That just sat CB Dalloway down, and he appeared to be extremely rocked, or if not, at least knocked out for a minute, a moment in time. Um... What I would have to say about this, pretty boring fight up until that point. C.B. Dalloway was winning the first round, I believe, just because of his kicks. But otherwise, there wasn't a whole lot of action. This wasn't a fight I was very interested in watching. Two guys that are clearly past their primes. Not really the elite of the division at this point, so that's a little bit of an issue. But for Dalloway, he gets the win, unfortunate for Lombard. But I do agree with the disqualification. I don't have an... I, I I don't see how you could just stop the fight, you know, give him like five minutes rest and then say, okay, you, you basically got knocked out. So, but you're going to still have to continue to fight because we're just giving him a warning. I mean, sometimes people, people had an issue with this being a disqualification, but it's like, you got to choose one side or the other. Do you want the referees to have the ability to make decisions that actually affect the fights? Or do you want them to continue doing what they do, which really doesn't make us happy, which is not giving, not taking points away, not actually DQing people for things they should be DQed about, um, and really just actually impacting the fight the way it should be impacted. You don't want to encourage the ability for you to throw a punch after the bell. 
there you definitely do not want that in mixed martial arts and you can't say to me that it's a good idea that we restart that fight after he was essentially extremely hurt to the point one more punch had been landed it would the fight would have been over or with the fact that he could have just been knocked out right then and there and the fight would have stopped anyway so um, I thought this was the right decision by the ref, and it's just unfortunate for both parties. No one really won in this fight, even though there is a winner declared. But C.B. Dalloway didn't look great. He goes out with a huge concussion, of course. Going to have to wait a while to recover. He's in the middle of a lawsuit with the UFC about some elevator incident. It's just all kinds of crazy on his side for Lombard. I mean, this is really a fall from grace for Hector Lombard. Came into the UFC with a lot of hype. He ended up losing his first fight to Tim Boach. Then he won against Paul Harris. Lost again to Yushin Okami. Then went down. Looked like he was going to make something of himself after defeating Nate Marquardt. Then Jake Shields. And then having a victory over Josh Berkman. But then that got turned over, overturned by the Nevada Athletic Commission for a failed uh, drug test. And since then, he's lost the next five fights against Neil Magny, Dan Henderson, Johnny Hendricks, Anthony Smith, and C.B. Dalloway. So you have to remember, this guy was one of these guys that he was almost Yoel Romero before Yoel Romero. Just super, really powerful, really impactful, super athletic and explosive. Also from Cuba, I believe, and, you know, an Olympian and judo, but... He just never fulfilled his potential the same way that Yoel was able to in the UFC. So unfortunate for him. John Dodson with a split decision victory over Pedro Munoz. Uh, Dodson was just way too quick for Munoz. Did not leave a lot out there for Munoz to counter. When Munoz was was really pressuring Dodson, he was finding a way to cut off the octagon a little bit and hinder Dodson's movement, and that was leaving... Dodson a little bit open for Munoz to attack, so he did a good job doing that, but he just didn't do enough of it, and I think it was a little bit too little too late, and Dodson was still able to continuously land his own offense with how quick and fast he was as compared to Munoz, so good win for John Dodson there over a guy like Pedro Munoz. Alexander Hernandez with a KO punch, just a brutal knockout of Benil Dariush. It was a little bit of a question of whether or not he uh, was reaching out to, to uh, you know, tap the gloves like they do at the beginning of fights. And I don't really think that affected the fight that much. What I think really affected the fight was Benil Dariush, a top 15 lightweight in the world in the UFC, was not ready for the type of pressure that he was about to get. Benil, looking back into this fight and looking back in his career, he seems like a guy, he's not a very hyped up guy. You've never seen him just going nuts after his wins, before his, before he walks out to the cage, or even during the fight. He kind of just settles in, finds what he likes to do, finds his range, he's a little patient. He's smart in that way. But where Alexander Hernandez really exploited Darius in this fight was, I don't know if Darius expected that and nonetheless expected it from a UFC newcomer. I mean, he exploded right out of the gate just trying to pressure, pressure, pressure Darius. I think Darius was way too relaxed. 
and Alexander Hernandez was, and he wasn't ready for that type of pressure and to defend against that type of pressure. Hernandez found and created his own opportunities by implementing that sort of game plan, and then the knockout happened. Fantastic win by Alexander Hernandez. Had a pretty good promo afterwards, got a little bit of charisma. Was Felt very natural, and he's just 25 years old in the lightweight division fantastic fantastic win from san antonio texas actually where i'm working these days so pretty happy to hear that um actually have a co-worker that trains jiu-jitsu that actually has trained with uh hernandez you know sparingly of course she's not a professional by any means but from all from all things said just a, a nice guy overall uh so really happy to see him win uh, was just watching him sign his his UFC contract on Facebook Live about three weeks ago. Two weeks short notice, and then you come in and make an impact like that. 25 years old, like I said, in the lightweight division. That is a stacked lightweight division right now, but it's always good to get that new blood in, in the UFC. So now we have you know, Cody Stamen, you have Alexander Hernandez, and some people we're going to talk about here in in a little bit, but also Jordan Johnson, you know, another guy that's up and coming a little bit as well. These are all guys you have to look forward to that you have to keep your eye on. And so that's very exciting for the UFC, of course. For Alexander Hernandez, they don't need to rush him by any means. I say that they give him like a top 25, top 20 type person. I know that's a downgrade in the type of, in the level of fighter that he just defeated. But he's 25 years old. He's only 8-1. and one. Doesn't have a ton of experience as of just yet. I don't know if he had any type of amateur background. But again, there's no need to rush a guy that's 25 years old, who's young, who's probably still learning and trying to get a feel for the game overall. So with that being said, let's give him a guy that's in the top 20, 25. You could still find a lightweight that's within those ranks and that maybe has a pretty nice name to go along with it so that it's not a fight against a no-name guy but it's not a fight fight against one of these elite guys where it could be a little bit too much too soon for him you know you don't you you want to make sure you progress these guys career at a proper pace so if he goes out there and starches another guy top 20 25 then fine that that's fair enough i mean let's start giving him top 15 type talent but let's see if this is the real deal because I think he did. He does have a lot of explosiveness, explosiveness, a lot of power, uh, a lot of good ability. But we hardly know what he is as a fighter yet. So let's see what he does in another fight. If he's able to do the same thing, then it's time to give him that top 15 guy once again and see if he how far he can really take this momentum. I'd like to see him wait about four or five months. He's still a young kid. See if he can continue to improve. What's most important with him is just getting a fight announcement to where you say, I've got a date set. You've got something to look forward to. But don't have him fight two months from now where it could be a little bit too much too soon. I think early in your career, it's it's a proper thing to do to wait, you know, uh, four to six months between your fights you know fight twice a year maybe three times at the most early on in your career when you're on the regional level it makes sense to fight three to five times a year i totally understand that but once you get to the ufc i think you slow down that process if you're around the age of 25 i think once you get to like 27 to 30 
two is when you can start to experiment with fighting, you know, three to four, you know, even five times a year because you're in your prime. You've already learned quite a bit. As long as you're not taking a lot of damage, as long as the fights make sense, that's when you want to do that. And then after 32, you start to get a little bit older, so then you start to decrease your fighting to about two two times per year because it only makes sense to give your body that rest. But right now, he's in that stage where I don't mind if we wait four or five months. Let's just get a fight announcement so we're not wondering when he's going to fight again like a Darren Till. If Darren Till had a fight announcement for four months or whatever, I think a lot of people would be very happy with that because it keeps, you, it keeps him on the mind. It's the fact that he doesn't have anything even booked is what's the real issue with a guy like Darren Till. Next up, Mackenzie Dern versus Ashley Yoder. Split decision victory here. Very, very tough fight for Mackenzie Dern. Wasn't able to get the the action to the ground a whole lot. Definitely has some liabilities in her striking. Very much overextends herself. Leads her head out there to be countered uh, very easily by a seasoned striker, which Ashley Yoder did not appear to be. Needs to definitely work on her takedowns, but you saw in that third round, as she gets you down to the ground, it is trouble, trouble, trouble. I mean, there it is a, extremely tough for, for you to get up or for you to even get in a position to where you can get yourself into... Um, you know, like your full guard. She is going to take your back. She's going to do whatever she wants to you. She'll be patient in trying to get a choke or uh, an arm bar or whatever it is that she's looking for. But you are in a lot of trouble if you get to the ground with Mackenzie Dern in this 115-pound division. Some things that I would note as far as what she needs to work on, because this was a very close fight and one that she could have lost if the judge... If the, one of the other two judges had seen it the way for Ashley Yoder, I thought this was the correct decision, but very close fight. Um, definitely needs to work on her takedown ability. Mackenzie Dern is looked upon as being potentially the next Ronda Rousey as far as star power, but she's not Ronda Rousey. That's what people need to understand. She's not this nasty judo artist who is so far ahead of the game when it comes to taking down girls in her division that all she needs to do is be so good at that and then expert at, you know, become an expert at the armbar and then win the fights. This is a little bit backwards for Mackenzie Dern. She is an expert jujitsu artist, jujitsu practitioner. The problem for her, which was not a problem at all for Rhonda, was she is not an expert takedown artist. Rhonda, expert takedown artist, and I'll take your arm off as soon as we get to the ground. For Mackenzie Dern, I'll take your arm off, I'll take your neck off, I'll take your leg with me, I'll do whatever I want on the ground. But the problem is, is that I don't know if I can get every single woman to the ground. That's going to be the real issue for her. She's really going to need to improve on her takedown techniques, even if it's those simple trip take uh, techniques. Not that they're simple, but you see a guy like Damian Maida, Maya utilized those type of techniques. A Jacare Souza, right? They're not experts in in, in uh, American wrestling or judo or anything like that. It's about make, finding what works best for you in order to get the fight down to the ground. Once she gets it down there, she could be anybody on that roster right now. So... She's definitely going to need to go back to the drawing board. Again, what's important with her is not fighting 
three months from now or anything like that. She needs to wait a little bit of time. As people were saying, maybe in that Brazil card, I think that's a little bit too soon. If you wait for the July card, International Fight Week, I think that's perfect. Again, Mackenzie Dern, 24 years old, a breath of fresh air in the division. But it could be a little bit too much too soon. Let's give her another fight on this level as as uh, Ashley along with Ashley Yoder, right? Let's give her another fighter like that. Let's let her wait until July. Really have her worked on her craft as far as at least her takedowns. Continue working on your striking, no doubt. That's never going to win you any fights. It could help you not lose some fights if you continue to get better. That's for dang sure. But what's going to help her win fights is working on her takedowns and working on, uh, you know, continuing her her jiu-jitsu ground being as dominant as it is over all the other women in the division. But she's 24 years old, still super young. No reason to mess with her career and start giving her a top 15 of the division. She's not quite ready for that just yet. And also, what I would like to see from Mackenzie Dern as well, and this isn't anything against her. She's a beautiful woman. Um, there's, there's nothing wrong with her looks. But I thought in watching the fight that if she's really having struggles with her weight cut down to 115, I do see uh, some area where she could trim a little bit of body mat, a body weight. Um, you know, maybe with a healthier diet, a little bit different of a, a conditioning routine that may help her assist her in being able to make the weight a little bit easier. Because I did see, just like the men. I would say the same thing about a guy in the welterweight division, like a Kelvin Gaslam. She she's not as she doesn't have she's not close to having the type uh, body type that Kelvin Gaslam does, right? But these are two fighters that you know her natural weight division is one fifteen. She struggles to get to it. Kelvin's is one seventy. He struggles to get to it. They both need to make some changes in their diet or in their cardio or in something to trim off a little bit of fat so that it would help them in the system in making those weight divisions where they would be excellent and really proper fit in. Um, and I think that would just be fin beneficial for her so that she doesn't have to worry about exhausting herself and really draining herself of the energy in those weight cuts. And also that way she just doesn't have to worry about even missing the weight cut and feel the stress of that. Stress takes energy. Weight cuts take energy. And tough weight cuts take even more energy. So for her to be as optimal as she can be. I think that's an area of focus she'll want to talk about as well with her nutritionalist going forward. Seeing how she can trim up a little bit in the off season so that she doesn't have as tough a time making that weight when she does get to the fights the, the day before. But great win for Mackenzie Dern. Wins better than a loss. Wasn't the best performance, but I almost think that could have been a good thing. I don't feel like they will fast track her. I think they will notice that we need to be very careful with her. Kind of like Connor, you know, give her good matchups, but Let's bring her along slowly and properly, and then we can see about getting a star out of her at that point in time. Ketlin Vieira defeating Kat Zingano. Good win by Ketlin Vieira. Uh, disappointing loss for Kat Zingano. That's three in a row. She's lost to Ronda Rousey, 
Juliana Pena, and now Ketlin Vieira. She just was not able to get up off the ground, was not able to get her back up. Vieira did a great job of taking Zingano down when she realized that Zingano's pressure, her knees, her elbows were just a little bit too much for her. The pace was a little bit too frenetic for her. I don't think she was very comfortable fighting at that place pace in the striking realm and then she just ended up getting trip takedowns or uh, various takedowns that she was able to get and she didn't do a whole lot of damage on the ground but she did a good job of controlling and keeping enough action to where they could keep it there so a nice win for here for Ketlin Vieira another girl in the division that is worth watching another youngster 26 years old from Brazil Good to have another Brazilian be in the elite of the division. She's now defeated Katzengana and Sarah McMahon. She's 10-0 undefeated in MMA to this point. Uh, in that bantamweight division, we're looking for some new stars. And here's one that we have for you. She's uh, making her, her name well known. I think that Amanda Nunes is fighting Raquel Pennington next. And then if she comes out of that fight pretty much unscathed, I feel like you do Ketlin Vieira versus another top woman in that 135-pound division to, deter to determine a number one contender. You do Amanda Nunes versus um, Chris Cyborg, and then if Vieira is able to get that next win, she could be the next in line for um, Amanda Nunes' 135-pound title. If they don't do the Cyborg fight at all with Amanda Nunes, then Vieira may just be waiting for her shot if Amanda Nunes has come, comes out very healthy and uh, without without a lot of issues after that after her her fight against Raquel Pennington. So this is an immediate title contender. She's got a lot of talent with her. I think she still has some room to grow. So the fact that the division is so shallow may not be the best for her progression at this point in time. But she is going to have an opportunity here pretty soon if she continues from winning ways to fight for that title. <laughs> Andre Arlovsky versus Stefan Struve. Not a great fight, obviously, but Andre Arlovsky was able to uh, get get many takedowns uh, in different ways against Stefan Struve. Struve just had did not have the ability to get up and not be controlled by Andre Arlovsky. So uh, kudos to Andre Arlovsky there for winning another fight after having... Won four, then lost five. He's back on a two-fight winning streak, so good for him. As far as Stefan Struve, tough to see him uh, lose another fight like this. He's not a very old guy in the division, especially when you consider the the age of, of heavyweights, but he seems like a guy who has been just old in terms of UFC. I mean, this guy's been fighting since 2009 in the UFC. Let me check here. That was his 20th fight I just counted uh, quickly there. 20 fights in the UFC. I mean, that is that is a really long time. That's that's um, He's got a lot of wear and tear on him. He had his heart issue. I, I heard that he was even curious about his willingness to still be competing in mixed martial arts after his loss to Volkov. So you just have a lot of questions for Struve. Is this really the best thing for him to continue to do? Maybe even at the young, tender age of 30, but maybe it's time for retirement. Even though it is a tender age young, um, maybe it would just be best for his health, especially considering he just lost a, a very past his prime Andrei Arlovsky, who is 
who kudos to him did an excellent job in this fight, but it's just as tough to see him lose to guys like that uh, at the age of 30, and he just doesn't look like he's ever going to progress or really improve much more from where he's at right now, which means he's never really going to be a title contender. Next fight, Sean O'Malley versus Andre Sukmata. This was a great fight. Showcase for Sean O'Malley in these first two rounds. Just lighting Andre up. Doing a fantastic job of implementing his striking. Uh, just hitting him with a, a diversity of different strikes. Really, really intriguing fight here. Um, really showed how much better that he was against a guy at this level. In the 135-pound division. Definitely proved that he's here and ready to stay in the UFC. He's worth the hype. Have to see what he's going to be like as far as his wrestling takedown defense and also his submission game overall. Those are things that he's going to have to improve on. But Sean O'Malley is one of the stars that came out of this fight. 23 years old, lost the third round after he had a really bad injury to his foot, I believe. Said that apparently there was a fracture there before the fight that he did not know about. But um, he's getting that checked on right now. Um, but this guy's 10-0, has had his moment with Snoop Dogg in the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. Won his first fight against Terry and Ware, in which a lot of people weren't super impressed, but he got it done. Won the fight against Andre Sukmatov, where he almost had Andre finished in the first and second rounds. So, pretty dominant victory here. Only reason why it was even... Uh, 29-28 was because his foot got injured ultimately in that third round. Bad decision by Andre to take the fight to the ground. Should have kept it standing so that he could attack that foot and leg. But he did what he did and ended up losing for it. No doubt in my mind, Sean O'Malley won this fight. Showed that his striking can be very much above everyone else's in the division if he continues to work on it. I don't know how good his striking is at this point in time, but it does look very, very good for a young, talented fighter at just 23 years old. Another guy, another guy in the youth movement, another guy in the 135-pound division, just breathing new life into the UFC, into the 135-pound division. This is what this card was all about. The up-and-comers, the, the risers, the guys that could be potential superstars in the years to come. So another great night for the UFC with their youth movement. I think that's very promising for them. And Sean O'Malley has the potential to be the biggest star. He comes out with the... With the uh, the flashy clothing, of course, the, uh, the you know, he's got the, the hairdo, the, the kind of Afro hairdo, and then he has the cornrows, the tattoos, he's got the marijuana strain that's coming out, He the, his own marijuana strain, um, he's just an interesting guy, I mean, whenever people talk about he has the looks, right, a lot of times it's about a beautiful girl or uh, a very good-looking guy or whatever, but this guy's also got the look, and it's not the uh, Luke Rockhold look, but it's a look of, he's just got a look to him that works for people. He seems like a regular Joe, he seems like a, he, he just, there's something different about him, and that that kind of makes him special. He does. You don't always have to have the look of a model, you just have to have a look, and that really can assist you in being a promoter, and in promoting yourself and for him he just has a certain look that i think attracts you know the blue collar type people to him he's um he's 23 years old talks about weed a lot of the millennials at this point in time as a denny segura 
uh, notated, you know, are into that type of stuff as well. You know, he's had his moment again with Snoop Dogg before. He's not afraid to speak his mind and be different and really push the envelope as far as promoting himself. That's perfect for the UFC. But again, a guy that's 23, we don't need him to feed him to the top 15 or the elite right now. Give him another fight or two at this level. Let him build and showcase his skills. Give him about five months, five, six months in between fights. Depending on his health, he may be out longer, of course. But give him that time and opportunity to really build on his skills and develop those and see where he's at around 25, 26, 27 and see if he's able to fight the elite guys at that point in time and go on a title run of his own. I mean, I'm not guaranteeing that this is going to be a guy that's going to be in the top five for a long time, but he's 23, has really good skills with him with in which he can build on. He's great at promotion for himself. He's already starting companies for himself, right? So that's that's what you need out of these guys in the UFC. Had a great promo afterwards where he was laying on the ground, um, you know, saying I love you to Joe and him saying it back and giving an interview as they're working on his foot, obviously in a lot of pain. And then ends it with welcome to the sugar show, you know, obviously delivering it in a different way than I just said it. But just a guy that a lot of people can get behind. It's a lot of fun to watch. And I think one of the things that Luke Thomas said that was important, having fun out there. I mean, just enjoying it, really embracing the moment, embracing what he does, and uh, not really worrying or stressing about a lot of the business aspects of mixed martial arts. You know, he did talk about wanting to renegotiate his contract, but he wasn't complaining about it. He was just saying, like, you know, maybe I'll renegotiate it, and I just got to prove it, and and things of that nature. Um, But, yeah, it's going to be really fun to watch this guy up and coming. I think he's going to gain a lot of popularity for this fight. And if he continues his winning ways, they continue to give him guys of this caliber a little bit incrementally better each time. I think that he can really showcase his skills. And then when it's time for the real deal, round 25-26, let's see what he does against the top contenders in the division. But until then, definitely a fun guy to watch. Hopefully his injury is not too bad, but we'll see. Um, how that does going forward. <laughs> Brian Ortega versus Frankie Edgar. <sighs> what do you say about this? I mean, this was phenomenal. Brian Ortega with a fantastic job of landing a counter left elbow as Frankie was coming in with a strike. And then um, getting on the attack as Frankie was hurt and just landing a vicious, I believe, left uppercut dip put the lights out for Frankie Edgar the first oh, first ever guy to finish Frankie Edgar absolutely phenomenal this was a fantastic fight I thought Frankie was going to win this fight the reason being I I thought the speed and quickness and the movement would be too much for Brian Ortega especially in a three-round fight where Frankie's conditioning can soar even better as opposed to a five-round fight um and the fact that I thought if it was a five-round fight, I would give an edge more to Brian Ortega in that round than in a three-round fight because there would be more opportunity for him to win, you know, and, and get a submission or a finish, right? I just thought three rounds is going to be too short. It's going to be too much movement, too much speed. He's not going to have enough time to adjust to Frankie. I just don't see him winning this fight, especially because the striking isn't 
you know, in the elite of the division. Well, Ryan Ortega showed me one thing. He is able to adjust. He is able to find uh, someone's timing, and that's how exactly how he got this finish. He timed when Frankie finally was going to come in, hit him with that elbow, and then went on to attack with the uppercut. What I did know about this fight in where in which Frankie would lose, and maybe you could say, well, any fight anyone gets hurt, they're probably going to lose. But in a lot of other fights, when Frankie gets hurt, if he gets hurt, a lot of people will say, he's not going to lose, he's going to be fine, he's going to recover. In this fight, I knew if Frankie got hurt, he was going to lose, and he was going to lose by finish. The reason being is because whenever Frankie gets hurt, it's usually by a punch, of course, right? It's by some sort of strike. And what does he go to? He goes to his wrestling. He moves around and then goes to his wrestling. He was not able to do that in this fight. If you look early on, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked that Frankie even attempted the clinch with Brian Ortega twice, in which Brian Ortega immediately was trying to slap on the guillotine from that position. Why? Because Frankie is a lot smaller than Brian. He has the leverage to do it, Brian did, the same way that he did over a guy like Cub Swanson, in which he was much bigger than as well. I was just so shocked that he even attempted that. He quickly got out of it and continued to strike. But what happens when Frankie gets hurt? He tries to wrestle. In this case, he got hurt. He couldn't try to wrestle. Reason being, you're already hurt, and you're going up against a guy who against a conscious fighter can slap on that guillotine, no problem standing. If you even get close to him, even if you're touching him, he will slap on a submission. So there was no ability for him to you know, go to his natural roots and go to what his bread and butter is and to wrestle and try to recover. He had to try to stand, and when he did that, he just did not have the ability to withstand the type of punishment that Brian Ortega was going to dish out. And because... He wasn't able to grapple. He ended up getting knocked out in the, in this fight. In other fights, you would see him try to grapple or at least stop the action momentarily so that he could get uh, the cobwebs, cobwebs cleared out of his mind. Just was not able to do that, and that's what makes Brian Ortega so su- supremely dangerous in this game. Whenever you're a conscious fighter, he can end the fight no matter what the position is as far as the submission goes. But also, he is improving with his striking. He's not the best at his striking, but he does have power with it. And if you do stand in front of him, if you don't provide a lot of movement, he can land successfully. And if he's starting to figure out timing and counter-striking, that is going to be a huge tool. Because if he's able to hurt guys, it is night-night. Whether he decides to KO you from that point or submit you from that point, he will finish. He may have the best finishing ability in the UFC, in the featherweight division. Um, It shows because he has a, a finish in every single one of his wins. I do favor Max Holloway in a fight with him, which I believe will be next. It is a fantastic featherweight fight. The best one that we could put together since Jose Aldo against Conor McGregor, but it is a fantastic fight. Both guys are huge. They're both used to having a height advantage over their opponents. That's not going to be the case, which is going to make it a little bit difficult, more difficult for Brian to get the submission, I do believe, in this case, if they're standing. But also, it's going to be interesting how he deals with Max Holloway's distance control, his timing, his speed, his range, and his foot movement as well. As well as I think Max Holloway has better defense than does a Frankie Edgar. And 
and at this point in time has a better chin does than does a Frankie Edgar as well. Um, if it does go to the ground, I know Max Holloway is very verse, well-versed on the ground as well. But boy, oh boy, he would have a major disadvantage against Brian Ortega. As well as I see Ortega having a major disadvantage over Max Holloway, against Max Holloway in the striking department. So that's what makes this fight so intriguing. Definitely, definitely cannot wait to see how that fight turns out. I think another great win for a young guy who's just coming into his own 27 years old. Um, one of the top in the featherweight division feels like he's going to be there for quite some time and just super, super excited with the, with the type of fight style that he has. 14-0 and 0 has a different type of personality than does like a Conor McGregor or a Colby Covington or some of these guys. Just feels very genuine and because of that has gained a lot of popularity even though he's not a big trash talker, even though he stays humble. I think that's why he has a lot of backing to him. He's just a very naturally... Um, a kind person, I think that really comes through to people, and for that reason, they believe it, they don't think it's a John Jones fake uh, type of standard or anything like that, and for him, it works, I mean, for a guy like Frankie Edgar, that type of style works, he's gained a lot of fans, George St. Pierre, that type of personality has worked, he's a superstar, so Brian Ortega, staying true to himself, talking about charity, and uh, a lot of people don't think it's BS. They think he's genuine and, and for good reason. So for him, his personality works. And that's all the UFC needs for you to go out there, be a badass, finish fights, make fights exciting, and then be yourself. But just don't be boring. Just don't be a boring person. You can be intriguing in so many different ways, good, bad, evil, uh, here, you know, being a hero. But just be someone that's interesting. Tell your story. Don't be afraid to talk. You don't have to talk trash, but you just have to be honest. You just have to express yourselves and put yourself out there. And that's what Brian Ortega is doing. That's why I think he's becoming a star. He has a really good look to him as well. Um, I think that he just has the, the complete package. So we'll see what happens with him going forward. But definitely excited to see how that Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega fight does play out should they be able to get that fight together sounds like they're trying to do it for international fight week which would be fantastic if you could do brian ortega versus max holloway for the featherweight championship daniel cormier versus tipe miocic for the for the heavyweight title in a super fight and then you add a tj dillashaw versus Demetrius Johnson in the super fight for the 125 pound title that is a fantastic card and then you could save Cyborg for a card of her own which I think is a good idea so um, fantastic win for Ortega for Frankie unfortunate for him just quickly don't really I don't know if I want to see him go down to 135 he's not going to have a significant speed advantage there he's going to be on equal footing as far as it goes down there he I don't know how much bigger he would be that as opposed to the other guys which could play a real factor if he's really able to implement his wrestling game plan then he could be real trouble for everyone in the division but I just don't know if he's evolving at the right pace the same way that those guys down there in the 135-pound division. I think there's a lot of good strikers at 145, but I think there are some real dangerous, talented 
very technical strikers at 135. You go down the list in 145, and you see, you know, Cub Swanson, great striker. You see Yair Rodriguez, great striker. Um, you know, Max Holloway, fantastic striker, might be the pound-for-pound best striker in uh, the UFC right now as far as it comes to mixed martial arts. But if you go down to 135, you're facing Dominic Cruz, who reinvented the wheel down there. TJ Dillashaw, who did something similar. Cody Garbrandt, who is just phenomenal with his hands and quick, quick hands. You've got a Marlon Marais. You have a lot of dangerous strikers down there. I just don't know if his game of boxing and footwork has evolved enough in order for him to keep up with those guys down there at the 135-pound division. I'm in the boat of, let's see him just stick at 145. Maybe he has to fight a Jose Aldo next for a third time. Maybe he has to fight someone else. (laughs) But I feel like he's only one or two fights away from the title shot because he has beaten a lot of these guys. He's able to beat a lot of the up-and-comers as well. And he's still pretty uh, well-ranked in that division. So I'd like to see him stick at 145. Unfortunately, in my opinion, I don't believe that Frankie's ever going to win another title at this point in time. But his best shot, in my opinion, is at 145. If for some reason he is just so much better at 135, then I think that he should have made that move a long time ago, first off. But then, but second off, if he's so much better at 135, then it's truly in their belief that he would be no doubt the best 135er. Then, if that's the case, then go ahead and go down there and test yourself. But I just think it's going to be tough for him to make that adjustment at this point in his career. And at this point, it would be the largest weight cut he would be making at a aging um, in an aging process where he's already 36 years old. Last right for Christine, a cyborg Santos defeating Yana Kunitskaya. Got a little interesting there for a second. Kunitskaya got blasted with a left hand, I believe. Immediately felt it, did not like it. Uh, went desperately for a leg and was able to get Cyborg to the ground. Briefly had her back, but Cyborg was able to get out of danger, no problem. Uh, Kunitskaya wasn't really able to do much. Then it was just a matter of time. Cyborg ended up knocking her out or stopping her with TKO punches, of course. Just way too much power for Kunitskaya. She'll go back down to 135. She's in the UFC, so that's a win for her, of course. Uh, you know, and good for the UFC as far as the 135-pound division. You've added Tanya Avenger. You've added uh, Yana Kunitskaya. Unfortunately, they had to go through Cyborg and go through brutal losses, but... <laughs> two names that are added to the division. So it looks like, you know, that division at least is getting some new life in it as far as some fresh faces, faces, of course. For Cyborg, this one didn't do a whole lot for her. I mean, it took her to 21-0, and of course. 20 wins, one loss, and zero draws, of course. But um, not a whole lot to say here for her ex- for her, I mean, she did a little bit of goodwill for the UFC, which is very important, especially with the type of relationship they've had in the past. She seems to be on the same page with Dana White. She's willing to take that Amanda Nunes fight, which seems fantastic. So it actually feels like there's a lot of positive vibes coming out of the cyborg camp after this fight. And that's very often, it's not very often that that happens. It seems like the UFC and her are on the same page. I don't know about their contract necessarily. I mean, it seems like there's always issues with that, but 
she's getting paid a lot of money. She got paid a lot of money, and now they're looking to make a super fight with her and Amanda Nunes, and then maybe she fights Megan Anderson afterwards. So I think that this is shaping up to be very good for Cyborg. And uh, after that, I think she only has two fights left on her contract, and we'll see where we are from there. But um, good win for Cyborg. Kunitskaya gets into the UFC. That's ultimately... Um, the goal for her. She's 28 years old, I believe, as well. Just someone interesting to look out for as well. But the real uh, story to this card, and by the way, just before I get going, Chris Cyborg, I do believe, should fight Amanda Nunes next. So we'll see if that happens or not. But um, but that is the fight to make. Uh, do the champion versus champion fight. Dangerous fight for her. But I think it could really elevate the winner of that fight. And if Nunes loses at least, it doesn't do a whole lot to drive down her momentum, I would say. Um, but the overall takeaway from this fight card was just that a lot of youth came through. I mean, great, great, great card for the UFC. Great two pay-per-views for the UFC. You have Israel Adesanya, Taitu Ivasa, you know, Tyson Pedro, Jake Matthews on that Australian card. And then a fantastic win by Romero, who's not a youngster, but, you know, a guy that's, that, you know, is going to be a pay-per-view main eventer, right? So that was a, a really good card right there. In this one, you got Mackenzie Dern, Cody Stamen, you have Alexander Hernandez, you have um, Ketlin Vieira, then you have Brian Ortega, who could be that star. You have Chris Cyborgwin, who is a star, and, but, but you have, again, under... Aside from Chris Cyborg, you have this youth movement coming in. So now in these past two cards, you have an Israel Adesanya, a tie to Avasa, a Tyson Pedro, a Jake Matthews, and then you have Cody Stamen. You have uh, Mackenzie Dern, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sean O'Malley, uh, you know, guys like that, Brian Ortega. Guys, it, it, it's nice to see the youth movement and the freshness of getting these guys in that are Americans, you've got guys that are international, so you have people in different buckets where you can really do interesting things with them, not only in the American market, but in other markets in Australia, um, you know, possibly in Europe as well. That is what the UFC really wants to do if they're going to get into that world domination that they used to talk about years ago. Um, and they just have exciting guys that they can put on cards at this point where you go, okay, I can... I'm definitely excited to see if this guy can turn out to be a star. And they're in different weight divisions right now, so that's also a good thing. You know, Tuivasa, heavyweight, light heavyweight. You have Pedro. You have Adesanya in the middleweight division. You have Brian Ortega in the featherweight. Cody Stamen and and uh, Sean O'Malley are in bantamweight. You have Dern in, in strawweight. You have Vieira in women's bantamweight. Um... So the list just goes on and on. There's a little bit of versatility there. Jake Matthews in the lightweight and, and welterweight range, right? So um, just a lot of good things to come out of these young stars in these past two fight cards. So that is very promising for the future of the UFC. So what's to look forward to March 17th? We have Fabricio Verdum versus Alexander Volkov. Um, not a whole lot to look forward to on this card. You've got Jimmy Manoa facing Jan Blahovic in their rematch. But aside from that, I guess we'll see if any other newcomers or youngsters can 
really be impressive on this card, but not a whole lot to talk about there. That'll be in London, England. But then what's really exciting, and this is the fight card that we'll definitely be, you know, paying attention to next, is UFC 223. What a fantastic card that this is going to be. You've got Tony Ferguson versus Habib Nurmagomedov for the lightweight championship of the world. It sounds like to me they're going to make sure that the fight actually goes on. Once the fight does go on, they'll strip Conor either the day before, the day of, or the day after the title, the the pay-per-view. And uh, either Ferguson or Nurmagomedov will be the undisputed lightweight champion. Winner, I believe, faces Conor McGregor. You have Rose Namajunas versus Joanna Jacek in the rematch for the strawweight title fight, in which I think is going to be fantastic. So... Then you have Hanato Moicano versus Calvin Qatar. Again, two guys that are young. 11-1-1 for Moicano. And he's 11 in the division. Qatar is 18-2. He's number 13 in the featherweight division. Who can really push their name further in this fight? That'll be interesting to see. You have Michael Chiesa, number 9. At lightweight, facing former lightweight champion Anthony Showtime Pettis, number 12 in the lightweight division, which is a fantastic card. But in my opinion, not even the best lightweight fight on this card. Best lightweight fight on this card is definitely number 10, Raging Al Iaquinta at number 10, racing off against Paul Felder. Felder is one of these guys who I don't think has been able to get a real elite victory in this weight class just yet. He has looked absolutely fantastic, vicious, and aggressive in those past few fights. He looks like a guy who should be in the top 15, top 10, maybe even the top 5 of the division if he's able to put his fight camps together, fight in, fight out. He is getting a little bit older, so this is his time to go for it. For Aikinta, he has some real good skills right now. Um, you know, he fought a guy in Diego Sanchez in his last fight who's definitely past his prime. But Al continues to show ability to show elite skills in the lightweight division. I think that this is a fantastic fight. This has the potential to be the fight of the night on this card, no doubt about it. Um, very excited to see where the, that fight goes and where the winner of that fight goes going forward. Carolina Carolina Kovacavich, number four, strawweight in the world against Felice Harrigan, number eight. This is a great fight as well. This is finally Felice's opportunity to say, okay, I beat Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, you know, I've gotten some wins in, against some people that they didn't think I would, maybe against Justine Kish as well. I'm number eight in the world. I have my opportunity to go up against number four ranked Karolina Kovacavich. That is a fantastic fight. She has an opportunity to really stamp that... Um, that belief that she has improved immensely since her time off the Ultimate Fighter and that she's gotten much better later in her career. And Carolina Kovacavich, this is a tough fight for her. She's definitely uh, better in the striking realm, but Felice isn't as bad as striking as a striker as she was in the past. And Felice has real ability to not only wrestle you, but to do some damage on the ground, get some submissions, and do work if she's able to get Kovacavich there, which has been Kovacavich's downfall in some of her fights. Then you also have Ray Borg versus Brandon Moreno. That is a fantastic fight as well. Borg 
and Moreno both well known for being excellent scramblers. Neither one is a fantastic striker, but that should make for a good fight. They can both get into a little bit of brawl moments, and then you kind of get into a little bit of your brawl moments on the ground as well. And what I mean by that is just, you know, getting into exciting scrambles, going back and forth, and just making this an exciting fight. I think that's going to be a fantastic action-packed fight as well. I Quinta or Felder against Felder, and then Borg versus Moreno. Those are my top two contenders for fight of the night right there. You've got Joe Lozon on the card, Beck Rawlings, Alex Caceres versus um, Artem Lobov. Evan Dunham's on the card against... He was on the card against Maribek Tesimov. I think Tesimov just um, backed out of the card. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's something to watch for. And then you have Zabit Magomedsharapov. Uh, it's a tough name to say, so forgive me for for uh, not knowing it, but um, apparently this guy's supposed to be the real deal from Russia. I'm sure I'll know his name by the time that that fight gets closer, of course, against Kyle Bochniak. So that's going to be an interesting fight as well. So top to bottom, fantastic card, April 7th. So that's what we really have to look going coming up, going forward. Until then, that's all I have for today, guys. Sorry this came out late. Um, let me know what you think of what you thought of UFC 222, what you think of the youth movement coming out of not only UFC 222, but UFC 221, who you think has the potential to be the biggest stars from those cards that I named. And listen, let me know what you think about Ryan Ortega versus Holloway. Um, yeah, at Zapata MMA on Twitter. Again, that's at Zapata MMA on Twitter. You can leave your comments, questions, concerns, or anything else that you would like. Until then, I'll see you all next time. I'll talk to you all soon. Have a good one, guys. Bye.